This is the APS China Monthly. February 2022. The briefing. Fiscal prudence. The PBOC announced that China's debt to GDP ratio stood at 272.5% at the end of 2021, which is a decrease of 7.7 percentage points from a year earlier. This marks five straight quarters of declines in the country's leverage ratio, and may give policymakers room to support growth in 2022. Covid resurgence. China's zero covid policy continues as recent outbreaks in Tianjin City, Henan Province, and Beijing led authorities in these areas to impose lockdowns and travel restrictions going into Chinese New Year. The measures have had a dampening effect on domestic consumption as travel and mobility are restricted. Marching to the beat of its own drum, the PBOC cut policy rates by 10 basis points on January 17, shortly after cutting the loan prime rate (LPR) in December. This is in line with the overall pro-growth tone from the annual Central Economic Working Conference. And sets the PBOC apart from other major central banks, such as the Fed, that are beginning a monetary tightening cycle. The CEWC stated that monetary policy should be flexible and appropriate, while at the same time stating that policymakers will strengthen anti-monopoly measures and reiterating that quote, "housing is for living, not for speculation." Unquote. ESG matters. The Shanghai Stock Exchange announced that companies listed on the Star Board should disclose environmental, social, and governance information in their annual reports. Companies are also encouraged to state plans on how they will help the country reach its carbon neutrality goals of peak carbon emissions by 2030 and carbon neutrality by 2060. New competition for Macau Gaming. The Macau government announced finalized proposed revisions to the gaming law. Gaming concessions will be cut to 10 years from the previous 20 years issued in 2002. In addition, it was announced that there will be an open bidding process in which any qualified company can participate and bid for the licenses, which will be limited to six at the maximum. This suggests the six incumbent players may face new competition in the bidding process. And now, the APS China Monthly. Xi's New Era by Tan Kongyam. One, common prosperity, more than a political slogan. Since 2017, and especially in 2021, the world has been surprised by Chinese President Xi Jinping's rapid consolidation of power and sweeping crackdown on tech, private education, and the property sector, as well as tax avoidance by China's celebrities, among others. Maybe it should not be. While Xi was low profile as a government servant in the provinces of Fujian from 1985 to 2002 and Zhejiang from 2002 to 2007, his overarching ambitions were inadvertently revealed in his interview with an obscure magazine 
The Sons and Daughters of China, published in 2000. The then Fujian governor noted that in the early 1980s, he and Liu Yuan, son of the late President Liu Xiaoqi, were the only two princelings who decided to leave their comfortable jobs in Beijing to begin a career in the grassroots. Children of veteran communists who held high-ranking offices in China before 1966, the first year of the Cultural Revolution, are commonly called princelings. Xi was as savvy as he was prescient. Extensive experience in the grassroots has turned out to be the critical qualification for top jobs in the party. The exclusive interview also revealed Xi's political outlook and his strong determination to be a, quote, public servant and, quote, do great things. He remarked that, quote, politics is a career pursuit. If you want to be in politics and want to make a fortune, then you can only become a spineless and corrupt official, unquote. He noted the Chinese proverb likening money and politics to the constraint of being able to only afford one of two costly delicacies. Quote, you can't have both the bear's paw and the fish. Don't think of making a fortune in politics, unquote. As early as 2009, when Xi was still the vice president, a leaked U.S. diplomatic cable detailed a discussion in November between a U.S. embassy official and an American-Chinese professor who was a fellow princeling and childhood friend of Xi. It noted prophetically that Xi, then the vice president, knew how very corrupt China was and was repulsed by the all-encompassing commercialization of Chinese society, with its attendant nouveau riche, corruption of officials, and the loss of values, dignity, and self-respect, as well as, quote, moral evils like drugs and prostitution, the professor stated. The professor speculated that if she were to become the party general secretary, he would likely aggressively address these evils, perhaps at the expense of the new-moneyed class. In a February 2009 trip to Mexico, the first stop in Xi's six-country tour of Latin America, the then-diplomatically inexperienced vice president expressed irritation about criticisms of Chinese diplomacy, according to a diplomatic cable classified by acting deputy chief of mission James Williard, reported foreignpolicy.com. Quote, there are some well-fed foreigners who have nothing better to do than point fingers at our affairs, she said in a speech. He remarked that, quote, China does not, first, export revolution, second, export poverty and hunger, third, cause troubles for you, unquote. On 5 January 2013, she propounded the theory of, quote, two cannot be denied at the Central Party School. It stipulated that, quote, the historical period after reform and opening up cannot be used to deny the historical period before reform and opening up, and the historical period before reform and opening up cannot be used to deny the historical period after reform and opening up, unquote. At that time, the first 30 years under Mao Zedong was viewed as a major disaster compared to the unprecedented achievements of the latter 30 years under Deng Xiaoping. This theory of, quote, the 30 years before and after reform and opening up cannot be mutually denied, 
heralded Xi's early intention to restore Mao's historical position and some of his policies. Xi has a unique sense of manifest destiny, born of a princeling by birth, not marriage, who had inherited the new, quote, mandate of heaven. He seems convinced he knows what is best for his party and his country. With the party in atrophy and corrosive corruption endemic under Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao, he sees himself as the new savior leading it to revitalization. As a, quote, sent-down youth during the Cultural Revolution was when she first came to understand and experience the poverty in rural China firsthand. He was shocked by the abject poverty that he experienced in those seven years from 1969 to 1975. He talked about his experience in Liangzhe village in rural Shaanxi province, residing in a cave home, digging wells, trekking several kilometers on mountain roads while shouldering a pole balancing a load of over 50 kilograms and suffering an infestation of fleas that left his body covered in sores. Xi's feelings towards the poor peasants are deeply felt and genuine. His anti-poverty program has proved extremely popular as it elevated 100 million people out of poverty since he assumed power in 2012. I have personally traveled throughout the 31 provinces in China, including many poor villages in the central and western regions, talking extensively to peasants, workers, and the general population. I can testify to his popularity among these people who felt that, unlike some Beijing leaders who spent most of their time in Shanghai and other prosperous regions, he really cared about them. Consequently, she has the unique experience of being a princeling in the Zhongnanhai compound who also suffered the deprivation faced by a poor peasant, giving him the ability to relate to the common folk. It gave him insights into, and a deep appreciation of, the real China. It is from this vantage point that one should evaluate Xi's much misunderstood, quote, common prosperity program. The party's slogan of common prosperity marked a significant new strategic direction for China. It puts three priorities ahead of unfettered growth. One, national security, which includes control of data and greater self-reliance in technology. Two, common prosperity, which aims to roll back inequalities that have soared in recent decades and promote social justice. Three, stability which means addressing the discontent among China's middle class, especially the heavy burden of the three big mountains of housing, education, and healthcare. Xi wants to ensure that the private sector comply with existing laws and regulations to minimize systemic risk. In addition, the strategic focus and embracing policy related to, quote, common prosperity is crucial for the party's political legitimacy and Xi's, quote, 2021 to 2035 long-term strategic plan. As a collectivist and deeply Confucianist society, reform in China tends to mean the strengthening of the state, not the empowerment of the individual as commonly understood in the West. Xi has said the former Soviet Union fell because the center lost power and respect. He had sought to tighten ideological control since coming to power. 
1978, when Deng initiated reforms, China's Gini coefficient was around 0.3, one of the most equal in the world. At the peak in 2008, it was about 0.49, one of the highest in the world. Today, it is still very high at 0.46. Most people go only to the big cities, and they see the dazzling prosperity there. In 1995, the top 10% in China had 40% of the total wealth of the country, while the bottom 50% had only 16%. By 2015, the top 10% share had risen to 68%. While that the bottom 50% had fallen further to only 6%. This disparity is far worse than in European countries and Japan, and it is comparable to that of the U.S. America's Gilded Age, which began in the 1870s, was a period of robber barons and railroad tycoons thriving in corrupt deals, crony capitalism, monopolistic practices, and manipulated markets. It was a period of spectacular growth and wealth creation, as well as abject poverty. The backlash eventually ushered in a wave of economic, social, and political reforms, the Progressive Era. In some way, the go-go years of Deng, Jiang, and Hu was China's version of America's Gilded Age, abandoning Mao's ideology. Xi is now ushering in China's own version of the Progressive Era with vigor. After a careful read of the internal documents and public pronouncements in China, it is clear China wants to avoid the excessive influence of the state by powerful interest groups, especially by tech and finance barons. They see the danger of state capture aggravating systemic risks, exacerbating inequality. And entrenching monopolistic practices, they are also concerned that it would pose a serious threat to state-owned banks. She wants to avoid the gross inequality that fuels cultural wars and rising socio-political tensions elsewhere. Choosing to pay heed to this cautionary tale for China, Deng famously said that he does not care whether the cat is black or white, as long as it catches mice. She also does not mind whether the cat is black or white, but it must play by the rules. China is studying with great interest Germany's economic model and drawing inspiration from it. Germany has large state-owned banks, a very strong advanced manufacturing export sector, and it has not experienced a financial crisis since World War II. It is noteworthy that in China's latest effort on antitrust regulations, they consulted German experts while writing China's anti-monopoly regulations and adapted a fair amount of German law. China also likes Germany's less fractious and less polarized politics, as well as the European giant's much lower level of income inequality. They respect the German focus on a quote social market economy. Rather than unfettered capitalism, in particular, the core of Germany's economy is its strength in high-end manufacturing based on technological leadership, which China admires, rather than undue financialization of the economy or domination by social media and e-commerce giants, which China is eschewing. 
The Chinese think that the Germans do real engineering, not financial engineering. Over the longer term, there could be significant implications for China's ability to inspire other developing countries. In an 8 October 2021 essay in the People's Daily, Shi Fujian, president of the state-run Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, asserted that China's quote, "common prosperity" concept will quote, "provide a completely new choice for other developing countries." To promote common prosperity and achieve modernization, unquote, and quote, provide Chinese inspiration for human society to achieve freedom and all-around human development. Unquote. In other words, common prosperity will turn China into a beacon of hope for less developed nations, much like how the United States has always sought to be. From this perspective, one can assess that the Chinese Communist Party has evolved from a traditional Chinese Communist Party to a Chinese Capitalist Party under Deng, and now it is in the process of morphing into the Chinese Civilization Party under Xi. The bottle looks the same, but the liquid inside has aged and is at an advanced stage of metamorphosis. Two. Factional rivalry and hidden agenda. It is clear that Xi's political actions have their own genuine, honorable, and legitimate motives. China cannot continue its present path of development without eventually suffering serious socio-political polarization. However, there may also be hidden agendas behind Xi's moves, largely focusing on purging and attacking Xi's political opponents. As he clears the path for his re-election in 2022, Xi is attacking the quote money bags of the Jiang and Zhen Qinghong faction, weakening the opposition. From Jack Ma, Zhao Wei, and other Chinese celebrities who have been caught up in the latest political storm have something in common: they all got rich before Xi Jinping came to power and had strong connections to the quote Shanghai faction. A group of people close to former President Jiang Zemin. Evergrande's current situation is quite symbolic, representing the end of the era of quote, "get rich first" under Jiang's school of thought. Xi has reason to be wary of the Jiang faction's financial clout, according to Forbes, relating to the 2015 stock market crash. Quote, Due to the heavy presence of the state in the Chinese stock market, some onlookers surmised that the stock market crash was engineered to create a financial coup d'état. This coup might have been caused by the Jiang Zemin faction to damage the reputation of President Xi Jinping. This group purportedly maliciously shorted the market. Unquote. Western analysts, not understanding the power game, Had misinterpreted the episode as poor management of a speculative bubble and regulatory failure. Jack Ma has repeatedly challenged the CCP. As his successes stacked up, Jack Ma became more and more bold. He vigorously promoted Alipay, an online payment service created for Alibaba's e-commerce platform, even if the service threatened the dominance of the state-owned banks. Jack Ma said at a meeting in 2008, "If the banks do not change, we will change them."
On 2 November 2020, moments after Jack Ma, the founder of Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba Group, was summoned by Chinese authorities for questioning, a cryptic column was posted on Xinhua's official WeChat account. The article was titled, quote, Don't speak thoughtlessly. Don't do as you please. People can't act on their free will, unquote. However, although there was no mention of Ma. But it was accompanied by a striking blue painting that shows a white cloud in the sky shaped like a horse. Jack Ma's name in Mandarin characters is Ma Yun, which literally translates to Ma, which means horse, and Yun, which means cloud. In China, the article's allusion was as clear as a cloudless sky. The party's social compact with the people and businesses was to allow them to become rich in return for their contribution to national development, worker welfare, and social harmony. Success got to Ma's head, and he forgot this cardinal principle. On 9 August 2021, the People's Daily's youth and social media-focused arm, at Youth Surfing, issued an article stating that, quote, capital must never control the media, unquote. And the People's Daily's Weibo account noted that, quote, it cannot be a tool for certain interest groups to manipulate public opinion, unquote. The People's Daily's WeChat account then commented on the high-profile 2021 complaint of sexual assault at Alibaba, quote, Don't be deluded that you can control everything like a South Korean jebel. This is China, unquote. 3. Factional Dynamics on the Third Historical Resolution of the Party In October 2022, the 20th Party Congress of the Communist Party of China will reshuffle the top echelons of the country's leadership, including the Politburo lineup, the makeup of the powerful Politburo Standing Committee, the composition of the Central Military Commission, and most critically, the election of the nation's next supreme leader. The CCP's internal mechanisms and unspoken rules prevent Xi Jinping or his faction from unilaterally reorganizing these three groupings, which hold the highest powers in the nation. It will inevitably be decided at the party's ultimate informal inner chamber, which includes the current Politburo Standing Committee, at the very least, and past PSC members. It could also include both past and present Politburo members, as well as select princelings from the more powerful families. Xi Jinping cannot take this informal discussion lightly. This process has started. The sixth plenary session of the 19th Central Committee of the Communist Party of China was held on 11 November 2021. The focus was on the introduction of the Third Historical Resolution. However, the resolution was only published a full five days after the meeting, suggesting a contentious and protracted discussion on the resolution. On 9 December 2021, a commentary entitled, Learning Deeply About the Spirit of the Sixth Plenary Session of the 19th Central Committee of the Communist Party, was published in the People's Daily, the mouthpiece of the Chinese Communist Party. The author, Chu Qingshan, 
president of the Institute of Party History and Literature of the Central Committee of the CCP, highlighted that Deng, quote, liberated people's thoughts from the long-running shackles of leftist doctrine, unquote. The article surprisingly failed to mention Xi. Instead, the commentary heaped praise on the late paramount leader, Deng Xiaoping, referring to him by name nine times. The article was also harshly critical of the mistakes made by Mao Zedong that led to the disastrous Cultural Revolution from 1966 to 1976. Notably, the commentary also detailed the achievements of two of Xi's predecessors, Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao, both of whom remained on Deng's reform path. The article implies that since the Xi Jinping era began in 2012, China has lived off the leftovers from the wonderful feast prepared by Deng, Jiang, and Hu. What is noteworthy is Zhu's position. The president of the Institute of Party History and Literature is a heavyweight whose key function is the interpretation of party history. Chu is a sitting member of the Central Committee, equivalent in rank to a cabinet minister. It is unlikely that Chu would have the audacity to write such an article and managed to get it published in the People's Daily without considerable political support. Chu's article elicited a quick counterattack. Four days after it was published, the People's Daily ran an article by Jiang Jinchuan, director of the Policy Research Office of the Party Central Committee, on the same theory page. Titled, quote, Upholding the Party's Overall Leadership, unquote, the commentary praised Xi's policies and echoed the third resolution on history in attacking the excesses and liberalism that preceded the current leader. Jiang Jinchuan's article, unlike Chu's, completely ignored Deng Xiaoping, Jiang Zemin, and Hu Jintao. Mao makes two appearances, and Xi is mentioned by name six times. The People's Daily is dubbed, quote, the throat and tongue of the party. The two articles hint at two ideological camps within the party, with those supporting the path of Deng, Jiang, and Hu on one side, and those behind Mao and Xi on the other. The struggle over political ideologies and styles of governance is playing out between the Mao-Xi disciples, who prefer the concentration of political power, and the Deng Jiang-Hu believers, who raise the banner of reform and opening up. Eventually, an authoritative official spokesman came out to clarify these issues. On 4 September, Fang Jinghai, vice chairman of the China Securities Regulatory Commission, delivered a speech at the 2021 China International Financial Forum of the China Service and Trade Commission. He reiterated China's policy of, quote, further promoting the institutional opening of China's capital market, unquote. Two days later, an even more authoritative spokesman, Xi's confidant, Vice Premier Liu He, attended the China International Digital Economy Expo held in Zhuzhuang via video link. Liu reiterated in his speech that, quote, China must persist in opening up the economy, unquote. 
Consistent with Fong's speech, this was a unified official statement, as Xi's economic policy advisor, Liu, has a special status. Both Fang and Liu He's speeches reaffirm Xi's policy of opening up and reforms, in stark contrast with the common but mistaken perception that the recent regulatory measures were anti-capitalism, anti-entrepreneur, and anti-business. I say this because, critically, Liu emphasized in his speech that, quote, we must vigorously support the development of the private economy so that it can play a greater role in stabilizing growth, stabilizing employment, adjusting structure, and promoting innovation, unquote. Liu He noted that the private economy contributed more than 50% of taxation, more than 60% of GDP, more than 70% of technological innovation, more than 80% of urban employment, and more than 90% of the number of listed companies. He categorically added, quote, We must adhere to the direction of socialist market economic reforms, adhere to high-level opening to the outside world, adhere to the basic economic system of the primary stage of socialism, adhere to the, quote, two unshakables, unquote, and resolutely protect property rights and intellectual property rights. The principles and policies for supporting the development of the private economy have never changed, have not changed now, and will also not change in the future, unquote. In order to cement his position against the still-powerful Jiang faction, Xi still needed to take control of the nation's public security apparatus. When Xi began his first term in 2012, Jiang Zemin's faction was still the dominant power behind the throne. Xi did not have a firm grip over the military and the party. In the 19th Party Congress in 2017, he finally managed to secure control over the military and party apparatus. However, control of the internal security and public security machinery still eluded him. Xi finally succeeded in getting his confidant, Wang Xiaohong, promoted to Secretary of the Party Committee of the Ministry of Public Security. On 24 November 2021, after the sixth plenary session of the CCP, she finally truly took control of the public security system. Wang is one of Xi's most trusted comrades. When Xi was serving in Fujian from 1985 to 2002, his wife, Peng Liuyuan, often needed to travel to Beijing for her singing performances. Likewise, when she had to travel on official duties, he would leave their little daughter, Shi Mingzhe, born 1992, in the care of Wang's family. They lived two floors down from Shi in the same apartment complex for government officials. Heading into the 20th Party Congress in October 2022, she now finally controls all three of the key institutions of power in China. In my assessment, Wang's elevation to this post can be viewed as she successfully, quote, installing one of the final pieces of the power puzzle that she would need to solve so that he will eventually prevail. Finally, she will have his say on domestic security matters. 4. Outlook and Future Trends, Implications for Global Investors 
The big risk for China and Xi is that the government's recent series of sudden regulatory assaults on various sectors of the economy, as well as the vigorous assertion of statist prerogatives, will wind up suppressing much of the entrepreneurial spirit and unbridled energy that has powered China's explosive growth and years of innovation. However, the Zhejiang Development Plan suggests the contrary. As it is designed to drive innovation and rejuvenation of the nation, over time it is likely that China will also refine and greatly improve the existing system of taxation and fiscal transfers to address China's economic inequality, like in many other countries. The recent initial step towards a property tax is indicative of future policy directions. There will likely be greater focus on more effective collection of personal and corporate income tax, like what we have seen recently in the entertainment industry. It is imperative to emphasize that the political cycle and factional dynamics are critical in understanding China. There was a similarly intense factional struggle throughout the anti-corruption campaign leading up to the 19th Party Congress in October 2017. After the dust settled and the new leadership lineup stabilized, the factional struggle significantly moderated, and the economy moved ahead. This same pattern could recur. The quote, "common prosperity" campaign leading to the 20th Party Congress has thus far been highly disruptive due to factional political dynamics. It is likely that after October 2022, the new power structure will settle in. Ushering in a period of greater clarity on regulatory priorities and the national political power structure, it is critical to note that during this period of regulatory uncertainty, the government has repeatedly highlighted that while income redistribution is important, sustainable growth and prosperity, underpinned by innovation and contribution from the enterprising private sector, are equally, if not more, important. In the Zhejiang Plan, it is stressed that redistribution from a larger pie makes all stakeholders happy. In the final analysis, the underlying dynamism in China will not be crushed by the recent regulatory campaign. The next couple of years could eventually turn out to be China's high noon in reining in the excesses of its own gilded age. China's biggest strength. Is its irrepressible entrepreneurial vigor? Mao tried to suppress it in the 1960s, but failed. Deng unleashed that entrepreneurial energy from the corked bottle. Metaphorically speaking, after the entrepreneurial genie has been released for four decades, it is almost impossible for any leader to bottle it up again. Xi and Liu also have no intentions to stuff it back into the bottle. Their key unfinished business is similar to what America did during the Progressive Era: gradual and steady development of the proper regulatory, fiscal, social, and political reforms to curb the excesses, and to continue to harness the dynamic energy of the private sector in proper, healthy, and sustainable ways. The recent successful IPO of the artificial intelligence firm SenseTime in Hong Kong. Is more indicative of future business and policy direction rather than the dejected demeanor of the chagrined Jack Ma. All in all, 
The Chinese economy is moving into an environment of slower growth that is of higher quality and greater sustainability. The deleveraging of the property market, if handled well, will minimize systemic risk to the financial system and reduce social inequality. The years of supernormal and monopolistic profits in selected sectors are probably behind us. However, the dynamism and innovation in the high-tech sector, not to be confused with e-commerce and short videos, could greatly strengthen. China's new growth path could lead to a longer runway, lower socio-political instability, and reduced systemic risk. At the sectoral level, there could be strong tailwinds for robotics, telecom hardware and networks, artificial intelligence, big data, medical innovation, and sportswear makers. There would be greater expansion in demand for products catering to the mass affluent. In addition, rather than luxury products and flashy brands, there would be stronger demand for staples and durable goods. Companies with high demand in rural markets may do well as policymakers uplift the standard of living of the rural population. With rising nationalism, companies that play to national pride may have an edge over foreign rivals, ranging from local sportswear, restaurant chains, local cosmetics companies, and other consumer products. Quote, common prosperity dovetails with a drive to make medical treatment and pharmaceuticals more affordable, favoring domestic brands and products. With U.S.-China tensions remaining elevated, Energy security and food security are considered essential for China's national security and economic growth. Electric vehicles and renewable power sources like wind and solar dovetail well with Xi's desire for advanced development and a cleaner environment, which is also being demanded by an increasingly affluent, growing middle class. Professor Tan Konyam is a founding member and deputy chairman, China, of APS Asset Management. He is also professor of economics at the Nanyang Technological University. He serves as a board member at the Changi Airport Group from 2015 to present. From 1985 to 1988, he was the chief assistant to Dr. Go Kang Sui the late Deputy Prime Minister of Singapore, who was invited by Mr. Deng Xiaoping to advise China on economic development strategy. From June 2002 to June 2005, he was a senior economist at the World Bank office in Beijing. In 2004, he was a member of the World Bank Expert Group on the 11th Five-Year Plan from 2006 to 2010 for the State Council in China. He served as the chief economist of the Singapore government from 1999 to 2002.